Saints, this is the word of the Lord. Give it your full attention. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of armies to you, the priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. And when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is that not evil? Or when you present a lame or sick animal, is that not evil? Or is it not evil? So offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of armies. But now do indeed plead for God's favor so that uh, so that he will be precious or gracious to you. With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of armies. If only there were one among you who would shut the gates so that you would not kindle fire on my altar for nothing. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name shall be great among the nations and in every place. Incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it by saying, the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, see how tiresome it is. And you view it as trivial, says the Lord of armies. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I accept it from your hand, says the Lord. But cursed be the swindler who has made in his flock and vows to it, but sacrifices and blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name is feared among the nations. Saints, you may be seated. If we would, saints, let's ask God to be with us now as we consider his word. Holy Father, we ask that you will help us through your Son and by your Spirit, that your Spirit will be with us. It will awaken all of our faculties this morning, that you will allow us to see the error in our worship, but also what you have given to us in Christ, and that is the freedom to worship, the freedom to worship in spirit and in truth. So allow us not only to see the error of our ways, but also to see the greatness of Christ. Help us, Lord, understand what it means for us to be Christians. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It was A.W. Tozer who said in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base, and hear this now, as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. 
Saints, this morning, the two questions I want us to consider is simply this. In light of all the things that God is doing in this world today, we all know that He is our sovereign Lord. He providentially rules and governs over every single molecule in this universe. Out of all the things that if we could speak this way, this improper way about God, out of all the things that God occupies himself with, the question I have is, does God care how we worship him? Again, out of all the things that God is doing providentially in this world, restraining evil, allowing those who love Him and do not love Him to receive goods. Out of all these things, does God even care of how we worship Him? Again, saints, as been said during this pulpit, in this pulpit, uh, many times, or rather, I don't know if it has been said in this new pulpit, but in the old pulpit it was said, um, worship, when we say worship, I'm not speaking merely of singing. So don't think that does God care or whether or not I sing? Or does God care uh, whether or not I am a, uh, a real spiritual, on my knees, hands in, in the air, worshiper? But rather, does God care of how we approach Him in the entirety of the worship service? During corporate singing, during the preached word, during the, the listening of, uh, the various scriptures that are read in the law and the gospel, during the time when we present ourselves to Christ at His table, does God care? About what you're doing right now as you're sitting down, listening to me, looking at me. Does God care about that? And the second question, saints, I have for you this morning is simply this. In in light of all of that, what type of worshiper are you? Again, what type of worshiper are you? And again, what I don't mean by that is simply, are you the type of worshiper who gets on their knees, starts babbling gibberish, closes their eyes, uh, lifts up their hands, and acts like they're uh, in a deeper presence than everyone else. That's not what I mean by what type of worshiper are you. But simply what I mean by that is, what type of attitude do you have when you come into the house of the Lord? What is your mindset when you come into the house of the Lord? What are you thinking about? What is your will after the word of God is being preached? Or rather, during the word of God is being preached? To give us some context of the book of Malachi, Malachi is a book written to a group of post-exilic Jews. They were in exile in Babylon, but uh, with blessings from the Persian king Cyrus, they were allowed to return to their homeland. So these people are are coming back to their homeland. It's as if we ourselves uh, were in Bakersfield. We get exiled to, I don't know, Arvin. And then we come back. And as they come back to their homeland, they begin to rebuild what was lost. 
They, they began to rebuild the temple. They, they reinstitute the priesthood. They are offering up sacrifices on a daily basis. They are worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. However, there's a problem. Their priesthood is corrupt. Their sacrifices are not pure and holy. And their temple has no glory. You see, they try to rebuild the glory that once was, and it was all there. The problem is, it's the people. And the people, because of their attitude, it has, it has creeped over, has seeped into their religion. It's been 70 years since these Jews have come back to their homeland. And as the book of Malachi is written, what we see here, and I want you to This is the attitude of the people, and it's clear in our verses. These people are frustrated with God. They are bitter. They are cynical. I mean, if you even read the book of Malachi, they're even going to complain about their enemies receiving goods that they feel that they should not be receiving. They have a strong uh, distaste for God. They are not happy with God. If we are God's people, then God, first and foremost, why have we been exiled from our homeland? And also, too, why aren't you here? They're not happy with God, but again, if we can say improperly, God is not happy with them. And this morning, saints, what we're going to see in these verses is Israel is not giving to God the glory and the honor, even in light of all the things that's happened to them. They're not giving God what is properly due to him. And as a result, the people are bitter, angry, and no longer respect, praise, or give God glory. I don't have any points for us to consider, but more so... I want us to consider a few verses and see how we can, uh, if we don't have a right view of God, we can turn into these people in Malachi's day. Look at verse 6, if you would. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then, or then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of armies to you? God's name here, the problem is, is God's name is being seen as as common. God's name is being viewed as unimportant. But saints, we have to ask, what's the big deal about a name? What's the big deal about a name? Well, in those days, a name stood for a person's character. His dignity, his honor. A, a person's name came invested with meaning and importance. Many of you are named after, I'm sure, specific people. However, in these days, and especially when it comes to God himself, God's name stands for who he is. God's name stands for his essence. God's name stands for his attributes. God's name stands for his perfections. It stands for his character. His name reflects all of who he is. And the issue that's going on in Malachi's day 
is the people, as well as the priests, were not taking into account the worth and the weightiness of God's name. Again, verse 6 says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If them I am my father, or if I am a father, where is my honor? Israel, at this point in history, no longer sees God as father. They are not honoring God as a son honors their father. They're no longer seeing God's name as weighty or worthy. And as a result... They no longer offer the worship and honor that's rightly due to him. You see, saints, what, how we view God is going to dictate how we worship him. That's an important note, saints. That it's not as if Israel did not know that sons are to honor their fathers. In fact, one of the, some of the most, um, uh, 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 harshest um, things that God says is to disobedient children. So Israel knows quite well that sons honor their fathers. That is the natural order of life. They're quite aware. But what God is saying is if sons honor their fathers and if they are to honor their father, then where is my honor? In fact, if sons are to honor their fathers, how much more should you honor me? Since sons obey, since sons respect, since sons treat their father's name as worthy, how much more should you give to the God of heaven and earth? And saints, think of all what God has done for Israel. God made Israel into the nation. He chose them. He brought them out of Egypt. He gave them a land. He, he, he came into covenant with them. And yet they despise who He is. Out of all of what God has done for them. I mean, the Sabbath day was to remind Israel of the greatness of God. And in light of all of that, they stop regarding the weightiness of God's name. Question, friends. How weighty... Do you view God's name each time we come and gather for corporate worship? How weighty are you viewing God's name? Not how weighty are you viewing the church or the minister or the people or the Lord's Supper or baptism or a fellowship meal. But first and foremost, worship always begins with God. How do we, you, myself, how do we view God as we gather for corporate worship? Do we revere God's name more than earthly persons? Do we highly esteem him much greater than the president, much greater than our mayor, our governors, much greater than our grandma and grandpas and fathers and mothers and all these people in our lives whom we highly esteem? Is God in a different status than them. God is not, as was popular when I was a younger person, God is not our homeboy. We are not to speak about God in ways that do not properly and accurately reflect who He is. 
the name of God is not to be viewed as common, but rather as unique, as distinct, as holy. Consider the words of Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Now we can consider each one of these verses. But uh, saints, consider that last line. It says, worship the Lord in holy attire or holy array. And what that simply means is, each Sunday morning and each day, we are to approach God in a way that we don't approach anyone else. That we are to come into the house of the Lord in a manner far different than anything else that we do. Because each Sunday, saints, when we come to the house of the Lord, we have the privilege of doing something that we don't get to do during the week. You now are doing something that you do not get to do during the week. Each Sunday, we encounter God, or rather, God meets with His people in a way that He doesn't meet with His people during the week. This is why corporate worship is so special. Each Sunday, saints, we have a foretaste of heaven, do we not? Each Sunday, we get to feed upon Christ and Him crucified. Each Sunday, we get to look back at the finished work of Christ on that third day when the stone was rolled away and we can rejoice. Saints, what we are doing, the, the meeting of these two parties, God with man, each and every Sunday is, is more, is more weighty, is more glorious than, than, than the two best teams meeting on Sunday at the Super Bowl. Or the two best teams meeting in, in, in the NBA game seven. <laughs> or anything. The, the United Nations meeting together. When God meets with his people on this holy day, it is the most weighty it is the most glorious. It is the only thing that should matter to God's people. And friends, how we approach God in worship, how we approach Him, how do we come into the Lord's Day Sabbath? And when we sit down, what are we thinking about? How we do those things is an indicator of how we value God's name. Again, how we approach God in worship is an indication of how we value God's name. How we value God's holy day. And friends, what's so heartbreaking about these verses is it's not just the people of Israel that are devaluing the name of God, but it's the priests. The priests are devaluing the name of God. Now, the priests had a particular role in the nation of Israel. The priests were the men who were to be set apart from the nation in order to carry out certain duties. The priests also were mediators of God's presence. And what we see in verse 6 is truly heartbreaking because it see, we see that, that the priests are no longer fulfilling their duties as mediators of God's presence. Again, verse 6 says, "...a son honors his father and a servant his master." If then I'm a father, where is my honor? 
And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. And look what he says here. O priests who despise my name. The priests are saying, or rather, I didn't read this part, but the priests reply and they say, how have we despised your name? Now, whether the priests are actually saying that or not, that is the attitude of the priests. The priests are saying, God, how have we not honored you? How, God, have we not shown you the respect that you deserve? God, you are the one who knows all. You keep, you keep record of all. Check the record books, God. Did not we go to the temple every day? Did we not offer burnt sacrifices and grain offerings to you? Did we not give you what you have asked of us? How can you say that we have not honored you? Friends, you can sense a bit of hostility and and sarcasm in their response to God. The priests can't accept this accusation. And in many ways, the priests are saying, God, you're a liar. We're not despising your name. Well, consider with me God's response in verse 7. The priest asks, how have we despised your name? God gives them how. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. And when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is not is that uh, is it not evil? Or when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not evil? So offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Or he receive you kindly, says the Lord of armies. God's charge against the priests is that they are offering polluted food upon the altar. What are you doing wrong, priests? You're offering food that you should not be offering. But the priest's response reveals how God's, or rather how they view God's name. And this is a most disturbing response. They say, but how have we polluted you? In other words, the priests are saying, yeah, you're right. I accept that. We are offering polluted food upon your altar. You got that right, God. But but how is that disrespectful to you, though? How is that showing you dishonor? And in many ways, what the priests are saying is the polluted food are a necessary gift to a polluted God. I am showing you, God, what I think of you by offering polluted food. And this outward demonstration shows my heart. It shows what I think of you. Polluted food upon your altar is actually inappropriate. It's right. It's necessary. It's just because you, God, are a polluted God. This is what the priests are saying in their response. And saints, what this offering of polluted food only reveals is not that they are worshiping a polluted God far from it, but rather their hearts are polluted. 
their hearts are polluted. There isn't one thing that God has ever, or rather, there isn't one reason that God has ever given to these people, to these priests, to allow them to think of God as polluted. I've said this many times, but saints, if if you are ever mad at God, then you simply are to repent. And as R.C. Sproul says, crawl over in glass in your repentance. Walk over coals of fire in your repentance. There is never any, there is nothing in this life that God has done to you that would allow you and cause you for you to be angry with Him. But there is a million, times a million, times infinity of things that you have done to cause God's face to not shine upon you. There is no justification for what the priests are doing and what the people are doing. And God brings this out in verse 8. He says, and when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present a lame and sick animal, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would you give the civil magistrate what you're giving to me? Offering sacrifice that were sick and lame was indeed an evil thing. Deuteronomy 17.1, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish or any defect whatsoever. Leviticus 22.22, animals blind or disabled or are, are mutilated or having a discharge of an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord. It is clear in the law of God, you shall not give to God that which is lame or sick or that has a defect. The people knew this. But saints, we have to ask, why would God require a sacrificial animal to be unblemished? What's the big deal about an animal being pure and without defect? Well, let me just give you two reasons. Number one, unblemished sacrifices reflected who God is. An unblemished sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, a pure sacrifice, it reflected who God is. It reflected God who is, not has, is pure and holy. God by nature is pure, he's holy. But it's the second reason that I want us to consider and the second reason is these, these pure and holy and unblemished sacrifices, they reflected Jesus Christ. These, these lambs that were, that were brought and these oxen that were sheep that were brought that were, that were to be unblemished and holy, they reflected Jesus Christ. When God required the best of animal sacrifices, the sacrifices themselves were, were types and shadows of the one true sacrifice that's to come, the eternal Son, Jesus Christ. That is to say, these animals, they, they pointed forward to Christ. They foreshadowed the incarnate Lord, Jesus Christ. The pure and holy and unblemished sacrifices pointed to the one who was and is and forever will be pure and holy and unblemished. It represented Jesus Christ. And this is the contrast, saints. Israel's offering 
blemished sacrifices to God. But when God offers a sacrifice, who does he give? When God gives a sacrifice, is it on par with Israel's? No, but as the Puritans would say, God gave the rarest jewel in his cabinet. God gave his eternal son. God gave the one that has come from him in times eternal. God gave Jesus Christ. The father gave a spotless lamb. And Jesus Christ gave 33 years of perfect obedience to God upon that sacrificial altar upon Calvary. This is what Christ gave. Christ didn't give a sacrifice with broken bones or one that was sick or lame, but he gave one that was perfect in every single way with respect to his divinity and with respect to his humanity. And when Israel offers an animal that is not holy and unblemished, essentially, saints, what they are doing is they are making a mockery of Jesus Christ. They're making a mockery of the one true sacrifice that's to come. And in many ways, they are breaking the link between type and anti-type. Friends, we too can fall into this this half-hearted way of worship, can we not? It is true that we do not offer animal sacrifices today. Praise God for that. It is true that we look upon Christ... And we place our faith in Christ alone, who was and is the perfect sacrifice. However, that doesn't mean that you, saints, do not have obligations to God. That doesn't mean that we do nothing in this life, specifically during corporate worship. Yes, we trust in Christ. But St. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers or brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What Paul is saying is, in light of the one sacrifice of Christ, not alongside the one sacrifice of Christ, but in light of us believing in Jesus Christ, what do we do? We offer ourselves as sacrifices. Not a propitiatory sacrifice. Not to satisfy the justice of God. But for our spiritual worship. We offer ourselves. Ask yourself, saints. Am I offering the best of myself each time the church gathers for corporate worship? This is a question I ask myself as well. What am I offering? Even right now at 11.25 a.m., what am I offering to God? Do we offer all of our minds? Or during the worship service, do you merely just think about what you're going to eat after service? Do you think about the things you have to do after service? Do you offer all of your attention, which is probably the biggest thing during corporate worship, is it not? Especially when the preached word is going forth. Or when 
The minister preaches God's word. And when he is preaching accurately and authoritatively, it is Jesus Christ who preaches to the souls of the people. And from the throne of grace, grace comes down and comes into your soul. When that happens, are you there or are you on your phone? Do you understand, saints, that grace right now is being given to you? We're not materialists. Although we cannot see it, it's there. And where is it? In the preached word. In the Lord's Supper. When we pray. Do you give and do you offer all of your energy during corporate worship? Or merely do you fall asleep? Do you have a problem of falling asleep when the preached word goes forth? When it's that time in the service when we are to ask God to forgive us of our sins? Is that a time for you to say, let me get a couple of Z's in for a few seconds? We're all guilty of it. I'm not speaking to you merely. I'm speaking to myself. None of us are exempt from, from this. None of us are giving to God which is properly due to Him during corporate worship. If we are honest with ourselves, saints, how many of us give to God on Sunday the leftovers of the weekend? God, here, you can, you can have the scraps. And I know we have long weekends. I get it. There's things we do on Friday. There's things we do on Saturday. But what are we leaving for God on Sunday? What is left of us? How many of us give to God on this holy day, the most unique, honorable, the best day? How many of us give to him the scraps of energy that we have left from Friday or Saturday? I was out of town Friday. Saturday we got back and I had to do this and I had to do that. And on Sunday, God, I'm just rolling in. Friends, if this is our attitude toward worship, then God even says in verse 10, if there was only one among you who would shut the gates. If if that is your attitude toward worship, then don't even come. Shut the gates down. And the reason why God is saying this is because God is not interested with our leftovers. He, He does not want the food that was in the fridge for two days. He wants the best of us. God is not a I'll take what I can get type of God. That's not who he is. But he is a God who requires us to give him the best. And friends, my encouragement to you is let us not make a mockery of the name of God and the sacrifice of Christ. You see, because there is also a link between the worship that we offer to God, the sacrifice that we present to God, which is us and the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Your spiritual worship reflects how you value the worship at Calvary. When the Lord Jesus Christ offered to God the supreme act of worship. Let us not devalue the name of God by our laziness during corporate worship. John Calvin said, God requires not mere ceremonies, 
of those who serve him. But he is satisfied only with sincerity of heart, with faith and holiness of life. In other words, God is not glorified in simply outward religious practices. But he delights in a person who does those spiritual practices accompanied with a pure and sincere heart. Again, saints, the problem in the book of Malachi is not that they are worshiping false gods. They have not gone into apostasy here. They're still worshiping the one true God. But their worship is done half-heartedly. That's the issue. The people have all the forms of our religion. The temple is there. The priests are there. The sacrifices are there. Everything is there. The problem is their religion is dead. Israel has checked off all the externals. But they just forgot to check their heart. Saints, again, I hope you take these verses of Malachi to heart because we too can be this way. We too can be this way. We too can fall victim to this type of worship. We can go off and check all the externals and go through the motion of religion without our hearts being in it. Let us not confuse the motion of religion and outward externals of religion and practices with merely religion itself. But religion is always accompanied with piety, with sincerity, with your heart in your hand and lifting up to God. And as we are coming to a close, saints, consider with me Israel's excuse for their lack of reverence to God. Out of all the things they could say, look what they say in verse 13. And also you say, see how tiresome it is. And you view it as trivial. Out of every excuse in the book that they can give, which they have no excuse, they say, it's tiring. It's tiring worshiping God. And saints, honestly, it is tiring. Ask any preacher every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, after the end of the day, are you tired? It's long. There's a lot that we have to do, both the preacher and those who are hearing. It takes up our energy. It takes up our time. There are many things that we could be doing on Sunday that we don't get to do. We could be sleeping. We could be barbecuing. We could be going to this. We could be doing to that. But here is, here's what overrides all of those reasons for weariness. Hear me now, saints. God is worth it. I mean, I, maybe you can give me a better reason than this, but is not God worth you being tired and checking yourself before you enter the house of the Lord saying, God, give me the strength today. Give me the energy. You see, saints, those are the prayers that God will answer. If you pray to God, God, at this moment, please give me energy to hear your word so that I can receive all of the grace that comes down from the throne of grace through the instrument of the preacher. God will answer that prayer. 
God is worth it, saints. He's worth us waking up early, is he not? He's worth us sitting down for 45 minutes listening to me or the preacher. He's worth it. Not because merely who he is, for that alone is enough. But just as God has led his people out of Egypt, saying spiritually, he has led us out of this world. He has led us out of the kingdom of darkness. And he has led us into the kingdom of light. And one day, physically, he will lead us out of this world to be with him. This is what this day represents. Saints, my encouragement to you is simply give to God everything. Ask yourself, what would it be like one Sunday morning if I gave to God all of me? What would it be like? When the preached word goes forth, when the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is being administered, when we are offering prayers to God, when we are singing corporately, give to Him your mind, give to Him your will, give to Him your heart, your soul. Give to Him everything, all of your being. Why? Because He's worth it. Because He's a great God. And in the fullness of time, this great God has shown Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ, who has lived, died, and rose for us. Saints, each time you think about the Gospel, does that not give you the motivation to give to God what's properly due to Him? Saints, I'm not trying to preach perfectionism here because none of us will offer to God which is rightly due to Him. None of us are on par with Jesus Christ. But give to Him what you can. Give to Him your best. And the beauty, the beauty of all this is we read in Revelation that what Christ does as our great high priest, what He does is He takes our imperfect worship. He takes our prayers And he covers them. And he presents them as a pleasing aroma to the Father. To where the Father looks down. And he is supremely delighted with the worship that we are offering to him. Saints, let's worship God in spirit and in truth. The way that he has prescribed for us to do so. And receive all the grace that comes to those who worship him in that manner. Let's pray.